I'm Robbie McDonald. And I'm Jordan Lee. We're two writers who've been friends for 15 years. Recently, we both discovered we have the shared experience of figuring out we have ADHD in midlife. Holy Shit, I Have ADHD is a platform for adults discovering their neurodivergence, as well as a way to spread awareness of ADHD. This is a podcast about ADHD, hosted by two people with ADHD. While each episode has a general theme, our meandering trains of thought mean we often cover several other themes in the process. We are not experts, simply two people sharing their experiences of discovering their ADHD in midlife. If you suspect you or someone you know may have ADHD, speaking to a medical professional should be part of your discovery journey. Welcome to Holy Shit, I Have ADHD, a podcast about discovering your neurodivergent in adulthood. My name is Jordan Lane. And I'm Robin McDonald. And joining us today is Elizabeth. Elizabeth is the founder of One Space, a co-working space in the Vancouver area. Elizabeth, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Yes, um, so I'm, I'm really stoked actually because um, it was, I guess, two months ago now that you were hosting some sort of event at One Space. And I was like, yeah, and I'm super going to go to that. That'll be great. You guys are like three blocks away from me. I'm really looking forward to it. And then I had like a major sensory meltdown and I just couldn't be around people that day. So I didn't go, but you somehow in my email or somebody mentioned that we had this podcast about ADHD and you reached out and then a conversation started and uh, we've been sort of back and forth ever since trying to nail down a time and we finally found one today. So that's really exciting. Um, yeah. But maybe you'd like to share a little bit about how that happened because my memory is fuzzy on the details. So I think you, you had signed up for our, we have a free co-working day for women and non-binary entrepreneurs um, and you had signed up for it. And my business partner, Victoria, uh, she checked out your website and then also your podcast and she sent it over to me and she was like, this is right up your alley. Yeah. Nice. So I reached out and, you know, always, always, um, doing my best to connect with other people who are neurodivergent. And, you know, I have a particular interest in creating workspaces that are, accessible, um, particularly for neurodivergent people. So yeah, I was really interested in your work and also your podcast. So mm-hmm. fantastic. Um, so that that sort of leads very nicely into the concept of one space. And yeah, maybe you can just share how that all started. Of course. Yeah. So um a few years ago I had I have a background in nonprofits. And I had launched a nonprofit working in food security for at-risk youth in East Vancouver. Um, And I had a very young son and uh, I had very irregular need for childcare. Um, I had no sense of community as like a young mom and as an entrepreneur. Um, I was working from an office in a closet under the stairs. Mm. Um, And I just felt very, very, very much alone. Um, and it just felt like I couldn't possibly be the only person who was experiencing that and didn't have community, didn't have a workspace and needed sort of like part-time, you know, occasional childcare. Um, and sort of, you know, that immediately led me to think that it would be great to have a location that I could get all of those things that I was in need of. Um, mm-hmm. And then kind of fast forward to the pandemic and it felt like everyone was kind of in the same position that I was in all those years ago, five years previously. Um, And it was just very, you know, serendipitous that we were able to find an inexpensive workspace. Um, All these factors came together for us to launch One Space, which is a work, well-being, and childcare space. Um, Particularly, we work with um, women entrepreneurs and moms, but parents in general, and it's kind of grown since, since our inception. But we launched in the middle of the pandemic, um, started out with some very, very basic services, just on-site childcare and workspace. Um, and we've grown to include private offices and mm. well-being services. And like the sense of community has been amazing. It's really exploded. It's been really wonderful to see how um, it's developed very naturally, which is, I think, how community should develop. So, yeah, we're into, we turned three in February. Um, it's just been a really wonderful, exciting ride. <laughs> Wow. Did you say three or two years old? We turned three in February. Wow, yeah. That's awesome. Congratulations on that. That's fantastic. Um, and when, when you think about accessibility, um, and, you know, I understand that accessibility um, ramps are important. The built environment is important. How does accessibility look and feel to you in a workspace? Yeah. Oh, that's a great question. Um, so I actually 
kind of naturally built um, one space to be a space that is like very, very neurodivergent and women friendly, um, just by virtue of building a space that I felt comfortable in. Um, you know, I think a lot of women feel uncomfortable in like corporate work environments, um, just by being washed or not feeling like the space is sort of built or designed for them. Um, you know, I, when I had previously thought about co-working spaces, I'm also an introvert, big introvert. Um, I thought about co-working spaces and it was just the whole concept was mortifying to me sitting at a desk with a bunch of tech bros, um, who wanted to talk or who wanted to network. And I had no interest in doing that. So the way that one space is built is very women friendly. It's very warm. It's very welcoming. Um, and then it's also sort of like an introvert and neurodivergent friendly too. We have, everyone has their own little like sort of pod workspace. You can go connect with people if you want to, but if you don't, you can sit in your own little workspace. It's very quiet. There's no sense. You know, we keep the music very, very quiet. Um, yeah. So there's like little spaces that you can go into like private meeting rooms or private offices. If you're feeling overwhelmed, if you need a private call, um, yeah, so everything just sort of, I designed a space that made sense to me and it seems like it's really striking a chord with a lot of other people. Um, yeah, so that's kind of, that's kind of how one space is designed is, um, very women friendly, very introvert friendly and very neurodivergent friendly. Great. That's wonderful. Yeah. Robbie and I've talked on our, talked on the show before about our own kind of experiences with, um, uh, uh, what we now understand to be, you know, neurodivergent accessibility around noise, around interruptions, things like that. Um, and yeah, I'm curious about something you said right now about, uh, about co you know, the idea of co-working being kind of mortifying to you at first. Yeah. Um, I thought that was funny. And uh, yeah, and, and one thing that I've kind of discovered over the pandemic, um, I left my job late 2019 and began working for myself in 2020 just before that hit. And yeah, and something that I've really struggled to find a balance with is like being able to motivate myself all alone in my apartment. Mm -hmm. But as you say, uh, uh, when I try to go out to work at a coffee shop or something, that can be too far in the other direction of just like, okay, there's chaos, there's too much going on. And so, yeah, so, so I would love for you to kind of like pitch people like yourself, you know, in, uh, introverts, people who think like being around other people is like the worst thing in the world for getting stuff done. Uh, I'm curious mm -hmm. kind of like how you sell that to people. Cause I know how, or that, that it does work for me, but yeah. yeah. Uh, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest one is body doubling for sure. Um, my business partner and I actually, we went to university together and the only time I could get work done is when I was actually like sitting in the living room with her. Cause she's a workhorse. She just sits there and she'll, she'll work all day. And when she was around, I could actually get work done and I wouldn't get up and wander around. So I think body doubling is a huge, huge part of that where you have other people around who are um who are working that's a really big part of it um and then also you know because everyone is sort of in their own little we call them little like work necks um you can be in there and you can know that someone's working beside you but you can also sort of do your work no one's peering over your shoulder um, and then if you get up and walk around, no one's watching you. No one really notices. You can go into like the lounge area. And if you want to chat with someone, you want to connect with someone, you can, but there's really like, it's a very much like a no judgment space. So some days when I'm like, I can't sit at my computer, I get up and I wander around all day. Um, or there's days where I'm like, I want to chat with people and you can just kind of sit in the lounge and chat with people, or you can be at your desk and work. It's really a space where you can like move about very, very freely and kind of just either work or don't, <laughs> don't work too. I mean, it's very much just like a no judgment space, which is really nice. Sure. Um, I'm curious about something else that you mentioned too. Uh, you yeah. said that, you know, part of the reason you founded the space was because you found yourself having kind of unusual childcare needs, um, uh, you know, not mm -hmm. in a typical schedule or a recurring schedule. And so, um, yeah, I, I guess, can you talk a little bit about uh, the childcare services you offer? Like, is it like an ad hoc drop-in thing or? Yeah, we do have drop-in availability. Um, so you can book for as little as one hour up to four hours. 
Um, so the children's atelier is upstairs. It's staffed by um, early childhood educators. The whole program is developed by early childhood educators. Um, they're amazing. Uh, they're incredible with the kids. The kids have a great time up there. Um, yeah, so if you need to come in and do like an hour of work, you can. If you want to come in for four hours, you can. We have set bookings, which is more of like a traditional daycare sort of style where you can pick Monday mornings or Wednesday mornings. But we also have a lot of drop-in, which is really nice. And it kind of provides like, it kind of provides a, a really soft landing for parents into the world of childcare, um, parents and kids. Um, you know, I know when I had my son, um, he just couldn't do eight hours of childcare. He, mm -hmm. he, he really struggled with it, which I think now realizing I'm like, you have the Ferrari brain for sure. <laughs> you get there, which is a great metaphor to use for kids. Google Ferrari brain. Sure. Um, yeah. Ferrari brain with bicycle brakes. So um, yeah, I think he, he really struggled with the eight hours of childcare. And when I was able to get him into full-time daycare, I didn't need full eight hours, but I would leave him there for eight hours because I was paying for it. But then at the end of the day, he would really struggle and he would have big meltdowns and I knew it wasn't what was best for him, but I was paying for eight hours of childcare. So I needed to make the best use of that as I could. Um, so a lot of time, like, you know, if a child is, is a year old or 18 months old, like eight hours of childcare is a really long time. Um, and, you know, you drop, you drop your kid off and, like, I remember dropping my daughter off and I went and I sat in my car and I cried and because I didn't know how she was doing or if she was okay. So we provide sort of that soft landing for, for kids where you can do like a little bit of a shorter day for the really little ones. Um, and then, you know, like you drop your child here and there's three other moms around who are like, I had a hard time too. And it's like an immediate sense of community that like don't worry my child cried for the first two weeks here as well or you know the separation like my daughter perfect example of that um but like you see when there's a new parent and the other parents come over and and it's like an immediate like lifting up and support network um which is great, which is really nice. It's very, very valuable. Um, yeah. So it's not just, it's not just having, you know, the opportunity to work when you need to work. It's also about, you know, providing a service that is um, helpful for the kids because it's a little bit shorter um, and then also helpful for parents. Yeah. I love that. And I think yes. we actually just had an example of why, somebody like me could have benefited from being at one space this morning rather than being at home because the ongoing renovations in our co-op and they literally started hammering like five minutes into our conversation. I was like, Jordan, can you take over? Cause I, like I can, <laughs> I can focus, but I, I didn't want to speak and then have all that in the background and contribute to your distraction and confusion in the conversation. <laughs> Cause I find that the sensory thing for me is a really big deal. Mm -hmm. um, and Jordan and I met when we both worked at iStock Photo, which was an open office and, and there was dogs running around. It was chaos in that place. It was so hard to get done. And we would have our headphones on trying to get things done, but um, yeah. Maybe you can talk a little bit about, because from what I see in the photos, it looks like there's these sort of calm sensory places where you can really sort of dive into your work. And um, mm -hmm. yeah, tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, I mean, we have like, I, like I call them nooks and um, there's like a lot more plant growth now because I'm also the crazy crazy plant lady um so yeah the nooks are like you can come in and sit down at your own personal desk um and you really feel like it's a really big beautiful open kind of loft space but you also feel like you're in a very private nook so mm. um it's like a good level of like ambient noise but you can also focus which is really nice because you do have your little your little spot that you can go to um, and just and just work. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Um, and we actually have a lot. We actually have a, a number of people who come in because they have renovations in their buildings. Um, and like that's very I mean, it's Vancouver. Yeah, it's so it's very common. <laughs> um, it's Vancouver. So and there's always renovations going on. Um, <laughs> yeah, we actually have a number of people who who will come in because they have, you know, construction nearby or in their in their building. Um, and they realize how much more work they can actually get 
get done here. Um, and then they, they stay members, which is always really nice. Cause it's, you know, you think, Oh, I can get a lot of work done at home. Um, but then, you know, we offer a little bit of an alternative to that, which is great. Like I can't do any work at home now I get home and, and I'm like, I don't, I don't want to get my computer out and sit at the kitchen table. I don't, I just, I don't want to do that anymore. I love having that separation. Mm. Um, but I never liked being in an office, but one space is sort of like a really amazing in between, like we call it kind of like a home away. It's like working at home, but not at home because it's very comfortable. Yeah. It's very comfortable. It's very warm. It's very welcoming. We have like all the amenities that you would need. Like we do like free snacks, which is really nice for parents. Also for ADHD people who often forget to eat, um, like lots of high protein snacks, coffee, tea, all of that. So it's really like being at home and you feel at home and like people, you can wear whatever you want. People come in in sweats. Like a lot of the time, my favorite thing is when people, I see people walking around in just their sock feet. I'm like, yes, <laughs> I love that. People comfortable here. So it's like working from home, but not at home. Um yeah, and that's really like the vibe that we were going for. Nice. I could I can I can picture somebody with bunny slippers just sort of like shuffling around yeah. you know, with their, their laptop. Totally. Yeah. And I love that because like Sundays, that's how I want to come in. And so I always say like culture comes from the top. And sometimes it's it's an excuse for not getting dressed in the morning. But <laughs> mm. I'm like I just, I want to be cozy today and, you know, you can be cozy or you can, we have another member who would do fancy Fridays. Um, so she would come in and sweats on Monday and then on Friday she would get dressed up in her, like she had a previous life in, in the corporate world. Um, so she had all these like beautiful corporate clothes and she would come in for fancy Fridays and that's what she would do. So yeah, it's really just come, come as you are. Um, there's also the piece too for neurodivergent folks, and we and we've often talked about this on the podcast about the mm-hmm. the sensory nightmare that can be a lot of corporate attire, right, or anything with a oh, tag, yeah. or itchy, scratchy, confining yeah. clothes that make us want to crawl out of our skin. Um, and I feel like that's so important. And some days you're like pants. I just can't with pants today. Like there's days where I'm like, I do not want to put on pants today. That's like the word. And like, you wear them and you're just like a bit off all day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so hard to focus. Like, um, and I've really yeah. started to kind of just sort of succumb to the loose baggy, like comfort things. Cause yeah, yeah, it's not good yeah, for anybody because yeah. that's what that's when I get pissy too, and that's when I, the rage will come out of nowhere. It's like this tag is making me want to stab. Yeah, like, I can feel it. I can feel it on my back, and it's I call it dopamine dressing now, where I dress for mm. whatever I like and whatever makes me feel good. And yeah, mm-hmm. nice. I love it's that. with the tags. <laughs> yeah. So a few minutes ago, you were talking about uh, your Ferrari brain with bicycle brakes. And uh, I would love to know, since it's uh, sort of the theme of the show, how you found out about your Ferrari brain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So it's actually, it's like a very classic story. It was about two years ago. I was in my mid-30s and I had actually asked my my partner at the time, just sort of curiosity, like he had been diagnosed like when he was young, um, maybe like seven or eight, and he had done the Ritalin and went off of it. Um, and I asked him, I was like, oh, how does your ADHD show up for you in your everyday life? And he was like, I don't know. Had no, no idea. Um, and so I was just curious and I started, started researching it for him. Um, and very quickly I was like, Hmm, a lot of this sounds very familiar. Um, so that's how it happened. Um, I started sort of integrating a lot of the behavioral changes uh, as ways to mitigate my ADHD symptoms um, in the first year or so. Um, so I stopped drinking and I prioritized sleep and I eat, which was the biggest one for me because I didn't realize that so often people with ADHD forget to eat. Um, I, you know, prioritized working out. I try to meditate as much as I can, but ugh, I still struggle with that. So. So I really implemented as many of those behavioral changes as I could. And even just, even just knowing, knowing how my brain works has made my life so much easier. Like, even if I still experience a lot of those symptoms, um, I can work with them as opposed to working against them. Like, I know that I work in cycles where I can push and push and push and push. 
and then I'm gonna need to stop and take a break and I can really like lean into them now I lean into both those things and I don't try to fight it I like I don't try to work really hard to slow myself down necessarily like I still take care of myself but I'm like this is where your brain's going right now you can lean into it and be comfortable with that whereas before I would try to fight against it or if I was experiencing burnout I would try to push through it and I just don't do that now I just lean into these sort of the the ebbs and the flows of of workflow um yeah so I it's been a lot easier to put a name to these things that I've been experiencing my entire life um and give myself grace around ADHD symptoms whereas before there was just like a lot of shame just shame 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 Mm -hmm. about how I operate yeah that's something Robbie and I've said on the show many times before and I'm sure we're not the only people to say it but that you know even without medication even without other kind of specific tools, just knowing that your brain works differently just does so much to recalibrate your perception of yourself and your place in the world. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Big time. Mm -hmm. So something I would love to know, uh, you were talking about how you, you kind of, uh, started researching into this after, after, you know, getting, uh, uh, your boyfriend's perception on things or your partner, pardon me. Um, and yeah, and I would love to know if there were like specific books or articles or resources that you were like, Oh, this is Mm -hmm. me a hundred percent. Cause for me, I had read a few books about ADHD, but it took one specific one where it was like, Oh shit, I see myself on Mm -hmm. every page here. Mm -hmm. Um, it was TikTok for me. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, it was TikTok. It was TikTok. And, um, there wasn't anything specific. I think like TikTok, that algorithm, algorithm, they know what they're doing. And once you watch one video, they're going to send you 500 of them. Um, so I just got deep, deep, deep into ADHD TikTok, which I then had to later delete because mm. like this is, it's three in the morning and I'm still watching TikTok videos. So I don't use TikTok anymore, but yeah, it was TikTok. Um, definitely. And then I haven't, you know, I, I work with a counselor who specializes in, in ADHD. And um, I've always just kind of been like a very self-directed learner um, where I get all of my information from a lot of different sources. So there hasn't been anything, anyone in particular, but Mm. TikTok was the the catalyst for sure. That's so interesting about TikTok too, because it's like you go Mm -hmm. there and you find all this information. For me, it was Twitter. Like I went back to Twitter to learn more when I was um, early in my discovery process. And then within months was like, I got to get off here. <laughs> um, and and yeah. I just haven't gone back. And I started TikTok and I was like, oh, this is trouble. And just didn't, you know. Um, yeah. You're like this. My brain is way too into this. The dopamine <laughs> hit. Yeah. No. <laughs> like I had it for like a month and I was like, mm-hmm. yeah. The time suck. yeah. <laughs> um, I believe it was yeah. um, it was Kai Northcott who was on the show just not long ago who called um, Instagram mm-hmm. the uh, dopamine slot machine. And I just think that's so yeah. accurate, Oof. you know, so, so accurate. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. The doom scrolling. Yeah. <laughs> so Robbie, yeah. it sounds like you have a little bit of experience with it, but TikTok is a total blind spot for me. I'm just, I, I haven't set foot into that arena because I don't feel great about social media in the first place. And I just like, yeah. I also feel like I'm maybe on the cusp of being a little bit too old for the platform itself. But yeah, so, so it's like, it's, it's just kind of a, kind of a, a blind area for me, but of course, reams of material have been written about ADHD talk and is it leading to false diagnoses? And can you, can you, uh, you know, uh, uh what happens if you think that you have ADHD and you accidentally don't because of TikTok? And yeah, and, and so I would love uh, uh, if you could just tell people like me a little bit about what ADHD TikTok was and kind of like what your experience with it was and, and what, I guess, what, what I guess kind of material is on there that made you be like, mm-hmm. oh, this, this is worth looking into for me. Yeah. So, I mean, TikTok is, it's just general creators just like on Instagram but they create very like short form content and ADHD talk is I found it really helpful because it's creators making videos about their own personal experiences and they talk very specifically about very specific instances in their day-to-day that 
ADHD was affecting them or was affecting their life. So it's incredibly relatable because it's, again, very short form content. So they would talk for 30 seconds about time blindness or body doubling or eating or whatever. And it was it's not academic and it's so relatable and you can see yourself and you would say, oh, my God, is that why I do that? So it's an immediate like recognition of oh, this is what ADHD affects my life. And you can learn so much in such a short period of time because as I said, the TikTok algorithm, like it learns, it learns you so quickly and it learns your interests so quickly. And there's so much content. There's so many people making videos that it will show you video after video after video about ADHD or plants or whatever it is, whatever it thinks that you have interest in or whatever it knows that you have interest in. So it's incredibly relatable. It's incredibly relevant. It's incredibly um, present and um, immediate. Um, and you can learn so much in such a short period of time. So that for me, I think maybe that's why you were only on Twitter Robbie for a, mm -hmm. a month because it's you can learn so much in such a short period of time, which is the ADHD person's dream. <laughs> right. It's very, it's very intense, condensed um information. Mm -hmm. And for me, TikTok was also um accessible from the jump because of the way the captions were formatted. Um so be, um oh, yeah. they would sort of flow across the screen and it was like to me immediately yeah. accessible um and often even when i record a video for instagram the captions won't work or they don't, and i have to do it a specific way um and that to me was like very appealing as well and and plenty of neurodivergent folks rely on captions just in general i, I mean i'm mostly yeah. deaf and i need them but i think that that's the piece that um makes learning for me it like i download things better when there's the multiple ways yeah, of accessing totally. information like there's some audio there's visual there's text Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing that I learned very recently is like how much better it is to have captions on everything. Yeah. To, to have what on everything? Sorry. Captions. captions. Oh, gotcha. Like it's yeah. on my TV all the time now, always on Instagram, always on TikTok. Yeah. And like the amount of information that you retain is so much higher because obviously like verbal processing can be really, really difficult sometimes. Um, so if you can sort of your brain will catch 50% of that. And then you have the captions too. It like completes it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like putting both in. Yeah. Mm -hmm. the, the obvious irony just now being that if I had had captions on, I wouldn't have had to ask you repeat yourself. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Yeah. It was, it was literally the word captions that I didn't make captions. out. In a master stroke of irony. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. I don't have them turned on either because when there's more than two people on a zoom screen, Captions often get a bit difficult for me. So, um, and especially the Zoom captions are not ideal. If we had our own personal captioner, that'd be one thing, but we don't have mm. deep pockets for stuff like that. So, <laughs> one day. So, Elizabeth, um, something that I've always struggled with, and that, you know, it's one of these things where it's like, it's like if your doctor told you that, like, you should do this one thing and you just don't do it for whatever reason, but eating is that thing for me. I know that my mm -hmm. days would go so much better if I just got out of bed and had a little bite to eat along with my cup of coffee yeah. or whatever. And for yeah. whatever reason, I just can't seem to kind of drag myself into doing that. And so I guess I would love to yeah. kind of hear, um, you know, because you talked about, uh, 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 you know, um, making these sort of resources for yourself and, and building these routines yeah. for yourself. And yeah, and I would love if you could just talk a little bit about routine, uh, about eating specifically and building a routine around that. Yeah, I basically pavlovked myself. So <laughs> I set alarms on my phone for breakfast, snack, lunch, snack. And luckily I didn't have to do it for dinner because I have to feed my kids dinner. So that's sure. always at six. But as, for the first couple months, I would, and like, you know, naturally ADHD brains have a harder time creating habit. And I actually took the alarms off and I have been very poor at eating lately. But <laughs> as soon as, as soon as I would hear the little ding from my phone, I would go and eat something. And it would <laughs> got to the point where as soon as I would hear that ding, I would realize that I'm hungry or I would mm. get hungry. Um, so yeah, I just pavloved myself and I was just trying to be as diligent as I could about eating as soon as I heard that little ding. Um, yeah, that was basically what I did is I like, 
skipped the like <laughs> brain part and just went right to the stomach and was like, as soon as you hear that sound, go and eat something. But I still struggle. I still struggle. I, like I say, I took the, I took the alarms off my phone and now I am bad at eating again. Um, yeah, but it's, it's like a, it's like you would think that if you go six months or a year with eating properly, you know, a few meals every day, it would stick. And it, it doesn't, it didn't stick. <laughs> it didn't stick. And I also remember when I first, when I first started doing the alarms, um, you know, it was like breakfast and I'd be like, okay, I got to eat breakfast. That's always the hardest one. And then 11 o'clock would roll around. And I'd be like, okay, snack. And then I would stop what I'm doing and leave my work or leave whatever and go eat a snack and then lunch. And I was like, do people do, does everyone eat this frequently? And it was mind blowing to me that like, that's how often people eat. I was like, who has time for this? Who has time <laughs> to eat this much again? And then three o'clock and I'm like, I, this is, this is crazy, but your day goes so much better because you don't get hangry and you have to like override your brain. It's like, Hey, FYI, like you don't feel hungry, but you need to eat. But I remember being like, this is, this is an insane amount of time of times to eat in a day. (laughs) It's way too much. Yeah. Yeah. So the alarms are really helpful. Just being really diligent in the beginning about like eating as soon as I heard the alarms and I guess probably putting the alarms back on my phone would be helpful. So I should do that. And did you combine that with like uh, uh meal prep or kind of you had specific things at set times or were you just kind of like alarm goes off and you just find something? Yeah. You know what? I, um, I, uh, I realized, you know, sometimes with the furry brain, it can be like an all or nothing thing. Um, so you think, okay, well, if I'm not eating a perfectly balanced meal with vegetables and protein and a carb, it's not worth it. Or if I'm not doing an hour long workout, it's not worth it. Or if you're not doing it perfectly, it's not worth it to do. So especially for eating, I just realized like anything, anything that can go in your body, just eat it. And that has been a really made a really big difference. Um, because I would think, oh, I don't have time to make a a full meal or, or I don't have exactly what I should be eating. I don't have any fresh, fresh, fresh vegetables or whatever, but I would just say, eat, eat whatever you can, whether that's like, like lunch meat or like an egg or any kind of protein based thing. Um, I bought a lot of snacks, a lot of like really easy grab and go snacks um, to just make sure that as soon as my alarm goes off, I have it in my backpack or in my car or whatever, and I could just eat something. Um, But I still struggle with that. I still struggle with like, oh, well, I I don't have time to make a whole meal or I don't have time to make something that's like perfect. Um, And it's just, just eat, just eat anything, (laughs) see whatever you can grab Mm -hmm. in two seconds and just choke it down. <laughs> I, I think you're pointing to something really important for ADHD folks as well, because I struggle with this in many different areas, mm-hmm. is how perfectionism will often sort of prevent us from doing the things that would actually help us to feel better during the day, like just eating something, yeah. even if it is like Anything, half of yeah. a protein bar, you know, um, it's so important. And the water too, drinking lots of water. I always have to remind myself about that. Stay hydrated. I know, I know. I I was actually going to point to that earlier as like the water one is one that I was aware of because, you know, it's like half the time when you think you're hungry, you're actually thirsty. So I got very diligent about drinking enough water and blah, blah, blah. And I'm still good about that, but I haven't been able to turn the corner on eating just yet. So, (laughs) yeah, yeah, it's hard. It's so hard. Um, And that I think is a really, it's a really hard thing for people who don't have ADHD, it's a really hard thing for them to understand. Um, like, why don't you eat? And I was like, I don't get, I don't get hunger. Like I go from not hungry to like, I am ravenous because I haven't eaten in 10 hours. There's no in between. Um, and that's a really like when my alarm on my phone would go off and people like, Oh, what's the alarm for? And like, it's to remind me to eat. And people are like, that's so strange that you need a, alarm to remind you to eat. Um, and it's really hard for people to wrap their head around. 
Um, and I also realized like that is like such a love language of mine. It's like when people ask if I've eaten and my business partner <laughs> will do that now. And she's like, have you eaten? I'm like, no, thank you so much. It's just such a beautiful show of like, Hey, you should probably remember to eat something. Um, yeah, because it's such a small gesture, but I, I love that so much, especially coming like she doesn't have ADHD. So that she recognizes that that's like one way that she can support me is like it's I, I love it. I love it so much. Mm-hmm. That's really funny because, you know, like a lot of times um, people who don't uh, uh, have experience with ADHD will kind of do the like, well, everyone's got ADHD thing mm-hmm. because, you know, we all do experience these symptoms to one degree or another. Mm-hmm. But you've pointed mm-hmm. to something really interesting there because that's the one that I feel like neurotypical people really don't get is that zero to a hundred on not only hunger, but also having to pee. That's one where like, I don't like, I I can go six, seven hours at a time. And then like, I walk through the door and I'm like, holy Jesus, I'm going to piss myself. If I, if I don't get like my pants down in the next 10 seconds, I'm going to piss right here in the entranceway to my apartment. Yeah. Like, and, and, you know, this, this is not new. I've had all day to pee, but it just, I, yeah. I didn't know I needed to. And, and yeah, and, and I, yeah. I think that's, that's one that you can point to where that does seem totally alien of just like, mm-hmm, of, yes. of just having that sort of, um, you're not, you're not necessarily like out of sync with yourself, but just, just those signals just aren't strong or whatever reason, or they're being, uh, <laughs> uh shouted down by these they're other, all these other yeah. noises. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. My partner just went through that with me because I was like, I no, seriously, no, I can't chat right now. Like, it was like, I'm like storming in the door on the way to the bathroom. He's like, Hey babe. And I'm like, no, <laughs> now is not the time. Slam goes the door. Like one second. Why are you being yeah. so curt? And I'm like, Kurt, God, like I'm going to pee my pants. Like that's not fun <laughs> yeah. for anybody. Is that what you want? No. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not the only one. That makes yeah, me feel far better. From it. <laughs> we yeah. also well, talked about it on email as well, right? Like I think I had the dates wrong for our conversation. I think I put the fifth in there. Oh, and yeah. if the calendar, I've moved my calendar now, it's in front of my face. Mm-hmm. Because I, I yeah. get the dates wrong constantly. Then that's something I, I think you struggle with too, right, Elizabeth? Yeah. Yeah, I had, it was, yeah, it was like a really long running joke in our company. It's like, I, I, I really have a hard time getting things into the calendar. And I think it's like, it's so many steps to put it in the calendar. And like, there's, you have to go back and forth and then like set the time and, and like, you'll get distracted halfway through or like put it on the wrong day or put it on the wrong time. Or yeah, it's been like a, it's like a long running joke in our company that I'm just really bad with putting things in my calendar. Like not only like getting them in there, but also like the wrong time and the wrong people. And uh, yeah, it's embarrassing. I get embarrassed. <laughs> I get really embarrassed by that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I used to really struggle with that when I worked. Um, I worked at a fairly large nonprofit, and we used like Microsoft and Outlook. Oh my god! And you, and I'd be trying to organize a meeting with ten people, and I felt like my brain was melting because it was yeah. like. Oh, and then I would finally find that like magic sweet spot, and then somebody'd be like, "No, I forgot to put it in my calendar. I'm actually booked at that time. Can you reschedule?" And I'd be like, "I'm going to." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah there's like so many things trying to like get what I just give up I'm like no I can't I don't do it anymore <laughs> what about you Jay oh I was just actually I kind of uh I had one more question about um one space itself uh you mentioned sure. up top that you have some wellness services as well and I was curious what the specifics on that are mm. yeah yeah for sure um So another thing that kind of came out of the pandemic is this realization that like everyone, their mental health was like really, really struggling. We were like, everyone should have access to counseling services. So that's sort of like what the initial, um, what's the initial catalyst behind the wellbeing services was. And, um, you know, the idea was that so often parents um, don't access mental health services because it's too difficult to coordinate with childcare. Mm -hmm. So if you just have like one hour for you and your partner to go to counseling, um, you only need one hour, but you don't have childcare at the time. Um, that can be a huge barrier to actually accessing those services, um, is the lack of childcare. So, uh, 
that's what we include in the in the childcare services. They're all on site. So if you want to access any sort of well-being services, you can use the on-site childcare here. Um, and it's grown a lot in the last two years that we've had the well-being services available. So we have an acupuncturist. We have a woman who does sugaring, which is like waxing. Um, she's incredible. Um, we have a woman who does uh, couples therapy. We have a woman who does cranial sacral therapy. We have a woman who does structural integration, which is like deep tissue massage. Um, we have a couple other types of counselors. Um, so we have essentially like three rooms that are very flexible rooms that that well-being practitioners can come in and actually rent, and then they can see clients in these rooms, um, which means that we have a really wide range of practitioners who can come into one space, and then all of our members can 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 see them during the time that they're here and either use the childcare or not use the childcare. So yeah, really like bringing well-being services in to make them super accessible for our community and our members. That was the idea behind it. You know, it's so funny. I, I don't have, well, it's not funny that I don't have kids, um, but it's funny that I never thought about like, yeah, you can't really do something like even go to a dentist appointment or whatever without having to arrange childcare first. Yeah. So that's, um, yeah, yeah that, that's just really, really interesting. Uh, uh, very eye-opening for me. <laughs> mm, yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's been sort of, uh, we've noticed that um, a lot of the time when parents come in, when they first start coming in here, um, there's a resistance to doing anything other than working here, mm. um, especially for moms, where they think, okay, if I'm in one space and I'm paying for childcare, I'm going to work because that's like buying the time back, basically. Like if you're spending money on childcare, you should be working, you should be making that money back. Um, and we've worked really hard to let people know that, like, you don't have to be doing work while you're here. You can use childcare to do other things. That's okay. It's okay to do that. It's okay to use childcare and then go get a, have a sugaring appointment or go take care of your mental health. Um, because there's a real, real resistance to, um, taking care of yourself while your child is in childcare, because it's this idea of like paying for childcare where during a time when you're doing something for yourself. Um, so we've worked really hard to, to signal to our community that that's a really important thing and it's okay to do that. Or like we have, like, we really, we really encourage napping here. Mm -hmm. So like we'll see a mom and we're like, Hey, you okay. And they're like, Oh, I didn't sleep. And we're like, go into the sage room and go take a nap. Like I did it yesterday or <laughs> we have lots of members. It's like the constant reminder of like, it's okay to go nap. You're going to be more productive afterwards. And you kind of have to frame it in terms of like productivity, you know, like go take a nap. It's going to be better for you. All the other members do it. It's really popular. There's like, there's a pillow in there. There's a blanket in there. It's a really comfortable couch. So that's another thing that's just like so simple, but like we try to do it's like, Go take a nap. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And see, I have been a huge advocate of naps for as long as I can remember, even back when we worked at iStock Photo. It's like, why do we have a nap room? I thought that was like so unreasonable because the place was so loud and intense. Like having a sensory room would have just made such a, I mean, I didn't know I had ADHD at the time, but like um, I'm seeing that more and more now, especially in, in places that are really primed for accessibility, as that's a discussion that's happening. We're starting to see them at airports. We're starting to see them at places that are traditionally very loud and um, overwhelming. So I love the idea that you're sort of like um, persuading or urging your members to say, hey, you know what? It's OK to take your own time out in the day and just kind of regulate. Even if you don't have ADHD, just like calm down and have a nap, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Like parenthood is so overstimulating in general and then to, to later on a degree of neurodivergence so mm -hmm. I think that's what's really nice is like I created these rooms and created this space as a way for my own brain but it's really like very applicable to to everyone I think so yeah yeah I think there's there's something else that's really neat there that's um you know uh um it, it kind of reflects on how attitudes towards parenting have shifted in the last, you know, 50 years or something like that. But there's mm -hmm. this perception, I think, that um, 
you as a parent owe your kids all of your time all the time constantly and you can't kind of be your own individual or your own adult and it's it's mm-hmm. verboten to do something like go out and get a massage because that is time that you could be spending with your kids or the next thing down the list is that is time you could be earning money with and and so you know for one reason the other reason or both reasons people feel like they're not either entitled to or they don't deserve to kind of have these little things for themselves um and you know it's like yeah. it's it's a very different attitude to what it was when people were raising kids in the 50s or 60s where it was like go away, go entertain yourself. I got shit to do, <laughs> you know, like go, go yeah, run around the neighborhood. I, I got, I got adult stuff to take care of. Like, <laughs> yeah. and so, yeah. And so I think that that's, uh, that's a really healthy attitude, uh, to cultivate, you know, in, in mm-hmm. especially parents, but yeah, just everyone to remind yourself that, you know, it is okay to do this stuff. And while you have responsibilities to other people, you also have responsibilities to yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, it's really important for us to model that for our kids too. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, after dinner last night, I was like overwhelmed and I told both my kids, I was like, I'm just going to go sit down on the couch. I'm like, I can't answer any questions right now. Just let me be in my own head. That's all it. I'm like, I'm going to go into my own head for a little bit and just sit there. And my daughter kind of struggled with it at first. And she was kind of asking me things. I was like, Georgia, I just, I need just a second to just, I'm like, you can sit right here, but I just want to be in my own head for a second. And she ended up, you know, she played by herself. And then after like 15 minutes, I was like, okay, like I'm ready. I'm ready to come chat now. And this morning she was like, mom, like you needed some private time last night. And I was like, yeah. She's like, sometimes I do that at school too, where I feel like I want some space and I just go take space for myself. I'm like, yes, (laughs) great. Like, yeah, they need to see us modeling that behavior so that they know it's okay for them to do too. And do it in like a respectful way, you know, make sure I'm like, this doesn't mean I don't love you. I just need five (laughs) minutes to myself. (laughs) I'm going to sit here on the couch next to you, but I'm going to be in my own head. So yeah, I think that modeling that behavior is, is so, so important. And that, um, showing them what self-care really looks like beyond just Mm -hmm. like taking a shower when you need it, like real, real self-care. Yeah. I love that. And I think just like modeling mm-hmm. those ideas in general, like even sometimes her RJs, I actually have to say to my partner, like, love you bye. Like I just <laughs> like I, I need a minute, you know, just like of no input. Like just nobody touching me, nobody yeah. talking to me, no noise, no petting the dog, just quiet. Mm-hmm. Um, and even adults, we have to sort of like be careful and frame that in a sensitive way. Like that's not a rejection. That's just important for me to just have this time. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And especially like anyone can take that really personally, like whether that's a four-year-old or whether that's a partner or whether it's a grown person or your parents or whatever, you know, to be able to say like, this is not you, I'm just overwhelmed or I just want to have 10 minutes to myself. Um, Yeah. To make sure that it's not taken personally, because it's really easy to take that personally. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. I see we're kind of coming up on, um, on our hour mark here. Jordan, was there other questions you had for Elizabeth? Yeah, um, we're uh, sitting at December 4th right now, and I would just love to know what's mm-hmm. coming up in 2024 for you in Wednesday. Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> um, I mean, Wednesday is really fun because it's constantly evolving. Um, it's everything we do is flexible, and we're constantly evolving the types of things that we offer in response to what our community needs. Um, so at our Odlum location, there's always new products, new offerings, new types of rooms to access, new services. Um, but I am in the process of talking to a couple of different people about expansion options. Um, and we've noticed in kind of the last like six months or so, people are looking at our model, um, and seeing us as potential partners um, and kind of as a tool for them to make their businesses um, more flexible and Mm -hmm. to provide an option for pivoting as, you know, the economy changes, as people don't want to go back to work, as or like go back into an office, um, as people are realizing how important childcare is. So we've had a couple of people approach us and say, hey, is there an opportunity for us to partner? And they're really interesting, creative 
ways for us to partner, um, which I absolutely love to see how people look at our model and say, how can we use one space as a partner and as a tool to make our businesses more effective and efficient? And, um, yeah, so expansion options are on, on the horizon. <laughs> but that's all I can say. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, and I didn't realize um, the Audlum location was, is that the only one or do you have another location in Vancouver? I didn't know about it. We did have another, we did have another location. It was um, also in East Vancouver. It was a pop-up um, mm. with just office space. We didn't have childcare there and we had a couple well-being services too, but that was just, uh, that was just a, a great opportunity to provide services for very inexpensive people um, just with the type of lease that we got. Um yeah, so that was one of those things that I'm like, oh, I'm so good at recognizing opportunities. Thanks. And responding really quickly. Thanks to my furry brains. So that's where <laughs> that came from. But <laughs> um, yeah, it operated for about two years and then um, closed down the pop-up. So yeah. Ah, I see. Okay. And I love that you have that mm-hmm. solution based mindset. Like that's a, that's a Always. lovely aspect of ADHD as well. Problem solving like is it. my favorite. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's the oh, best. That's the best part. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's been so great talking to you today. Is there mm-hmm. anything else yeah, that you guys um, you'd like to yeah. share with us um, before we wrap up? No, this has been really nice. It's always nice to connect with people who who get it. It's very like it fills my cup, which is another thing I talk about with my kids a lot. But um, it like it it fills your cup to connect with people who who understand. So this has been really nice. Well, I've really enjoyed this conversation and now I'm extra motivated yeah. in the new year to maybe book some time to come over and hang out and work instead yeah, of like trying to focus by. through all the yeah. noise. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I feel like sometimes just getting people through the door is the biggest hurdle. Um, and then they're here and they're like, oh yeah, this is great. Yeah. <laughs> and um, where can we find you online? Where can uh, listeners find you online? Yeah, so our website is onespaceforall.ca or on Instagram, we're at onespaceforall. And those are the two easiest ways to to check in on what we're doing. And is that O-N-E or the numeral one? O-N-E-S-P-A-C-E-F-O-R-A-L-L.ca. Well, thank you so much, Elizabeth, for joining Robbie and I today. And thank you as usual to all the listeners for tuning in and uh, sharing your time with us. If you enjoyed Holy Shit, I Have ADHD, subscribing to and reviewing it on your podcast platform of choice helps more neurodivergent folks find us, as does following and promoting the show on social media. A full list of platforms is on our Anchor page at anchor.fm forward slash holy shit, I have ADHD. While you're there, why not leave us a voicemail? You can also share your thoughts on this episode or your own ADHD experiences with us at you guessed it, holy shit, I have ADHD at gmail.com or via our social media pages in the episode notes. Bye for now and hyper focus on the positive.